It's a great question, but it's a huge question. Because melody can be heard, I think, sometimes, and it's not that strange, but it sounds a little strange. It's a little weird to answer it this way, but melody can be heard just in the, the air, sometimes just the wind sometimes, or the, you know what I mean? You can, there could be total silence and you just hear some sounds and it's kind of melody. Melody can be heard in rhythm. And the two are not mutually exclusive. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, rhythm and melody usually, and even if it's a rubato melody, there's some kind of, that in itself implies some kind of rhythm in a weird way. And there certainly is a lot of melody in just rhythm, in just a drum solo sometimes. And they think about it if they're, if they're happening. And to me, that that's part and parcel of, of what they do. So it's a huge question. Well, let me ask this question then. To you, if a melody falls in the forest and there's no one there, to hear it, is it still a melody? I, yeah, I guess so. I, I think basically you got it. That is an interesting <laughs> way to look at things. What I mean so. is, it, you know, you may play something that you think is just magnificently melodic, and 17 people in the audience can think that, and another three people say, what on earth was that? You know, and but not the, get it. What's nice is that that's, it's up for grabs. I mean, a lot of this stuff is, is up for interpretation, which is beautiful. And that's one of the great things about music or about art in general is that it's it's not a uh, right or wrong. It's not a winner or loser. It's not unless it's uh, American Idol, you know. It's not I underwear mean, or lycra, which, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, some of those, you know, the competition in music is. I guess it inspires some kind of like reason to talk about stuff, and people can get excited. But there's no winner or loser in this area, and and there's no real right or wrong. So melody can be interpreted and, and defined like it's wide open. But, but for me, I mean, then there's the more obvious kind of realistic kind of interpretation. For, for me, a strong melody is something that's, uh, that you can kind of remember that's memorable to me. And uh, sometimes it takes a few times listening to because sometimes they're kind of complex. Sometimes John Coltrane can play some incredible melodies. And the first time you hear him, you think, what the hell is that? <laughs> and then you hear him over and over again, and you get it. Or you don't get it, or you just say it wasn't really on, you know. Um, usually, in his case, usually it was on. <laughs> and, and then sometimes the Beatles could be an obvious great melody. Some of the tunes that they wrote were incredibly memorable and beautiful melodies. So it's certainly getting a chance to play with Miles and hear him play night after night was was a great experience because he was so into singing on the horn. So a lot of the stuff that came out was singable. There was some linear stuff that you wouldn't want to sing, maybe like a scat kind of thing or even, even difficult for anybody to sing uh, with their voice, but, but a lot of times it was singable. He used to tell me he used to get a lot of uh, phrasing ideas from Frank Sinatra, listening to Sinatra, and how Sinatra would interpret a popular melody 
And so Miles would get a lot of ideas from that. Yeah. Well, let me now switch the focus from written melody to improvised melody. Now, you're known as a guy who can write really lyrical tunes and a guy who can play in a lyrical fashion, but you're also known as a guy who can, in the words of the prophet, shred. So now, the question is, how do you personally balance the technical virtuosity which you've got with the desire to play in a melodic fashion? I, for me, that's a, it's a really good question, and it kind of defines a lot of what I do try to do. I'm not always successful with it by my standards, but uh, certainly not. But, um, but I try to balance a kind of a melodic statement, you know, generally in my playing, with uh, some excitement, where I'm not thinking so much about melody or rhythm. I'm just kind of letting go and trying to play lines that are that if you slowed them down, they would have some melodic substance to them. Great. That's, but, in fact, that's such a good thing. What I'd like you to do now is demonstrate exactly that. Because I think a lot of lay listeners, they hear, they hear jazz and they think... It sounds like well, Yeah, yeah, what's going on, man? And, but, but the fact is, I always say to people, if you slowed that down, it would be a beautiful melody. Yeah. So let's, let's give them a blast of something. Just, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
you very so much. I was I was trying to sing some of that, and that's a that's another thing I try to do sometimes, even under my breath, even if I'm playing fast and you can't sing every note, but try to have that sense that I'm singing, really hearing every note. Miles t- said that Oscar Pettiford, great bass player, used to do that. He said, "Oh, that was." Oscar used to sing, tell me to sing every note. Not to tell him, but he said he used to do it. Oscar used mm. to do it, and he could hear him mm. sing. You know, kind of not singing. Really. Yeah, I, no- I notice you're breathing while you're while you're playing. I'm trying to do that and sing some of the notes sometimes. I was singing them a little yeah. bit louder for. Yeah. Thank for, you. But <laughs> for the microphone, which loved it. it yeah. Really- so basically, I'm trying to make up melodies or or lines that connect to other melodies, but or, but even within the line, there's a melody, and yeah. if you sometimes you take it apart i've got these right here in the on the pile on the floor i have these uh tons of transcriptions of like sonny rollins uh improvisations which are incredible melodies when you slow the stuff down you hear amazing stuff and it's really very intricate very controlled a lot of times with with a great improviser like sonny rollins of course and in his statement, in his whole statement, some stuff that's just like almost a rhythmic phrase, mm. like like talking. Mm. Like, well, g- give me an example of that. Just okay. one little one yeah. little phrase, just, and okay. then slow it down. All right, here's one. If I hope I can do it. Here's a Michael Brecker phrase that I took off uh, the something a long time ago, and I hope I can remember it. And I play it all the time, and I'll probably goof it, but. Give it a harmonic context, please. What, what's C. the chord? C. Okay. Like, you'll get one good one. Okay, go, yeah. Okay. But, well, okay, let's try something else. But let's you try. got that idea. Yeah, right? sure, sure. And so, and slow. And that's a lick. In improvisation, you don't want to use too many of those. Mike Brecker used to say that he used to do the same thing transcribe solos sometimes or cop different things, play them through different keys, and then forget them. Then they kind of come out as the language of, it's kind of like if you read a book and you get a couple of phrases and say you get more of your own ideas from that book, that if it's a if it's a good book that that kind of inspires your own thinking, but you remember a couple of phrases that an author said and say, oh you know this is kind of a cool um, I I remember how the guy said it he said it's something like this and then you might quote a phrase so sometimes you can get that or you do enough transcribing and you get all kinds of tons of melodies in your in your ear and uh, they kind of come out in your own way in the melodic arsenal of jazz you've got a couple of things which I know you are fond of one of them is your use of chromaticism so if you could give an example of one little phrase without any chromatic alterations and then show how you add the chromatic approaches to make the phrase more let interesting. Ju- let me give you, the, now this is kind of more of a, I'll give you an example of uh, something I'm still studying with this great teacher, Charlie Banakis, who's a, who's a piano player, but he teaches all instruments. He teaches kind of theory to all instruments. And the way he kind of, uh, it's kind of a common uh, exercise, or not uncommon, and there's a lot of this, of course, in classical music, is by some of the chromatics are, surra- are like neighbor tones. 
uh, or embellishments of chord tones. And chord tones are probably, in some way, it's probably oversimplistic to say it, but it's kind of true, is that they're very fundamental notes in melody. They're the notes that make up the sound of a chord. If you have a C major triad, right? Those are the notes C, E, and G. Do, bo, bo, right? They're melodic by themselves. If you play them together, you get the triad, the sound of the triad. So in the case of a C minor 7, which is a, a four-part chord, C, E-flat, G, and B-flat, you get that separate and then together. You get the sound of that chord. What Charlie teaches sometimes is, is, is chromatic from below each chord tone and then scale from above each chord tone, which is another common embellishment. Those are two common embellishments. So let me just take a C major 7, C, E, G, and B, and illustrate that just, just real quick. So B to C, with chromatic from below, C is B, and to the, to the chord tone, resolve it to the chord tone, then E flat to E, G flat to G, B flat to B. And you get a kind of a cool something. It gives you a kind of, it's like a little bit of clothes around a body of the of the chord you know what i mean then there's a scale from above it's another common embellishment now if the scale in in c major seven the scale is a c major scale the scale from above a c is a d scale from above the e is uh which is the third of the c major seven is an f scale from above the g which is the fifth of a c major seven is an a and the scale from above the major seven the b is a c again so you get if you put those two together you get bo 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 that's the chromatic from below and the scale from above. So that's a common kind of a bebop cliche almost it's also in a lot of classical yeah, music. Yeah, exactly. It sounds very much like a, you know, Mozart could have written that. Exactly. Thing. And uh Bird, apparently, from what I, I think I heard this one interview with Paul Desmond. It's a really famous interview, and I remember Mike Brecker was playing it for me, Paul Desmond interviewing Charlie Parker. And, and Charlie Parker was uh, saying that he learned a lot of his lines and his linear ideas, his melodic, linear, very linear ideas, from classical, like clarinet studies, which has a lot of that stuff in it, from classical music, a lot of embellishments like that. So, um, so that's got a lot to do, of course, with bebop and, and the kind of a jazz, quote-unquote jazz kind of uh, bebop kind of concept in some ways, those chromatics. <laughs> but they're still around chord tones a lot of times. Now, you can take it even outer than that. Herbie Hancock does that or Train or, and go even further with chromatics. You really just need kind of a line sometimes in between 
strong points in a in a phrase you might just play a line that just goes from point a to point b and mm. goes through wherever it's kind of more abstract than that the melody could be more abstract but uh but there is a lot of stuff around chord tones. Chord tones are very fundamental notes. And of course you want to learn music. To me, it's very important to learn it both ways, like you learn a language. If you go to school, you understand the language in terms of spelling, in terms of pronunciation, in terms of verb conjugation, the logistics of the language. But ultimately, in, with any language, including the language of, of music and the language of jazz or pop or rock or classical, you really learn it by doing it, by, by playing and by listening to people that are fluent in it. Mm. And that's how you learn any language, and especially this one. Let me ask you about another element of your uh, melodic improvisation style, which of course is uh, Polly want a cracker tonality. So if you could demonstrate that, I thought maybe Yannick could play uh, just some, some simple tune, like whatever, any simple tune you want, and where, where we can hear the chord tones, the Latin thing maybe, where you do the chords and you can hear them clearly. And, and you just play the real chords and then show how it would be if you superimpose other... I might just start off with just the chord tones of two different chords. One, the original chord, we'll play something in C minor 7 <laughs> again. Okay. Why and uh, why not? And... Um, and I'll just play uh, in C minor for a while using a C Dorian. And then you stay in C. Yannick's going to stay in C. And I'll play also a minor third up for okay. just for... Uh, there's tons of possibilities, but I'm going to actually think E flat uh, Dorian, which is a minor third up from C Dorian. And, um, and also also think the chord E flat minor 7. And so we're playing over C minor seven, but I'm going to be superimposing or going between those two, okay. those two um, tonal centers. Hit me, big boy. Okay, so uh, one, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Some, some little example of, of how that's 
uh, apply to a whole chord progression. Of oh, take a blues. A blues, uh, okay. Just a blues, a B-flat blues. Okay. One, two, one, two, three, which is, you'll love this one. How does a, a musician develop the technical ability to do absolutely anything and yet have the taste not to? Uh, don't ask me. <laughs> I've been working on that one forever. I think that's a lifelong... Well, all of it is really a, a lifelong voyage because no one ever gets to any of those points. And, and the more, uh, the better you get and the more you fluent you get at the, at the language of jazz and the, and the more... It seems like the more you know, the less you know. Because the universe of music is infinite so the more you kind of look out into it it becomes bigger you know the sure. more you the more you learn and then sometimes you come back to just earth and say well you know what's wrong with this 
<laughs> you know, that's pretty strong right by itself. And how it's played is also very strong. How a melody is delivered. Mm. I mean, just can be that or or there's two different stories right there. And we're just talking about three notes, B.B. King notes, you know. <laughs> right. And uh, so there's a whole lot of options. I mean, an infinite amount of options. And then there's, as we just kind of tried to play through, of, uh, you know, lots of different chords on top of chords or tonalities that you can go and make up as you're going along. Mm. So there's lots of options. And I think that then it's up for grabs. I personally like... Uh, a lot of energy. I like the way, for instance, Michael Brecker, everything he used to play, and, and just about every recording he's on has got some stuff to it. And he played a lot of notes. He played with a lot of fire. And he could also play very lyrically, very melodically, very you know, like a kind of a statement, then take a breath, and then and build a solo. And then by the end, he was steaming, usually. Um, Miles had a different kind of approach, but, but not dissimilar. He played less notes. Jim Hall can't play fast. He works on his chops some. By the nature of the fact that he can't play fast, uh, his style is defined, and most people's styles are defined as much by what they can't do as what they can do. Mm. And then they're also <clears throat> defined by who they are and how they feel and the, you know whatever their, how their heart beats, you sure. know. And uh, so there's lots of kind of options. So I, I wouldn't, you know, I still work on that. It's a mm. great question. And that balance is always tricky. And sometimes when you have the chops, I find myself without looking over my shoulder all the time. Because when you're playing, you want to let go. Mm. You want to let your heart out. But, but without looking over my shoulder while I'm playing all the time, there's a little voice that me saying, don't overdo it. You mm. know, pull back. You practice some cool stuff, but now it's time for the gig, and you want to listen to what's, what's the drum, what's the mood of the whole tune, what's everybody else doing, what's the bass player doing, try to pull back and, and, when, when you were, and develop your solo. When you were starting out to develop your solo thing, to what extent did the listener reaction help you discover what worked and what didn't melodically? What kind of stuff, you know, you got a great reaction from, what kind of stuff... Perhaps, I mean, I know it's impossible that an audience would not react enthusiastically to you, but let's just say... It you know, happens. Like, okay, <laughs> okay. Happened. But, but just but, to be, what, kind of, what kind of things did you find, you know, maybe I should do more of this and less of that, and, you know... Well, there are times when uh, the audience can be really helpful in terms of inspiring you, and then there are times when you just got to kind of uh, have a balance, and Miles was, the, I think, the king of this, which influenced his playing and, and informed his playing in a way that was really was really fantastic which is he was very aware of the audience and kind of what got over and he mm. could get the house in, in a way yeah which is contrary of, to what the perception of him is well, he was very it was very important to him i'll tell you that right now it was really important to reach people because music is a communicative thing you know it's supposed to be a language to reach people you don't want to just make it in your basement you mm. know so he had that balance and also what his goals, his personal goals and his personal ideas were, despite what anybody would do. Mm. He kind of wanted to hold true to those, no matter who said what. Mm. So um, 
So that was a great balance. I think it's a great balance of having your own kind of integrity, musical goals, and your own stuff, which is uh, the sky's the limit as far as I'm concerned. There's not a right or wrong. I mean, I, I hear some people say less, more, who knows? I mean, what the hell? I mean, to <laughs> me, it's up for grabs. And musical is beautiful in that regard. But the thing is, I think it, it's also great to have a, a, an audience will ba balance you, kind of, in some ways. If you come out burning and you play the first tune is killing and then you play the second tune with the same intense energy and the same kind of it almost sounds like the same texture in the same tune and the third tune with the same intent you're going to notice the audience saying you know we got it the first. radio richard